0: This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. That very dramatic video is to kick off a brand new series. I'm super excited. I have an opportunity to uh, teach the book of Revelation. I'm hoping to take a really confusing book and make it a little bit clearer to you over the course of the next several weeks. I'm excited, way too much caffeine and coffee this morning, but before I dive in, I wanted to say a quick word of thanks. You might have noticed as you drove in this morning, uh, we had a crew here yesterday, and they did an outstanding job putting out some new wood chips and just beautifying the building. And I tell you, we are ready whenever spring finally decides to show up. Could you do me a favor, put your hands together for all those who served yesterday. They did an outstanding, outstanding job. Super cool. Well, hey, as I kick off the message today, I want to start with a question. It's kind of a sobering sort of question, and we're going to go right into it. And the question is this, how long do you plan to live? Some of you are like, Pastor, wow, that's not just sobering. That's kind of, that's kind of chilling to have to think about at 925 on a Sunday morning. It's probably a question we don't think about enough. And I've sort of been... Uh, keyed into this question for, I don't know, the past couple of years. I uh, discovered some things about my, my family history and some of my genetics. I had a little tiny heart issue a few years ago, and it's got me thinking about this whole idea of how long might I live? And I've been studying this, kind of obsessed with the whole topic of longevity. Turns out there's a few different ways you can look at this. There's your lifespan, and that has to do with your expiration date, you know, how long you live. But more important than that is your health span, how long you'll live in good health. And that's what I'm concerned about. I'd love to do the things that I love to do uh, for a really long time, kind of like to that rare air where you get to be 100 years old. You know what they call you when you get to 100 years old? You become a centenarian, kind of a cool thing. It uh, turns out only about um, 0.03% of the population actually make it to 100 years of age. Uh, That's about one in a little more than 3,000 people. So it's pretty rare air to get there. I've been studying this, and it's kind of interesting because people can get to a really long lifespan uh, by some of the things that they do. Other people can get to a really long life, maybe even despite some of the things that they do. And let me introduce you to a few people. There's some interesting people to study that have made it to 100 This lady is Teresa Rowley. She was a Grand Rapids native and made it all the way to 104. This lady actually, uh, when interviewed, she was asked why she thought she had lived such a long life. And she attributed her longevity to the fact that every day she drank a Diet Coke. (laughs) I'm not so sure I would recommend that. I'm not so sure any doctor would recommend that. But that's what she claimed worked for her. Let me show you this next guy, Richard Overton. I love this guy. World War II veteran, made it to 112 years of age. His secret to the fountain of youth, he claims, was a shot of bourbon and a cigar every day. (laughs) Again, not recommending these things. The last is my favorite. It's a French woman by the name of Jean Calment. She is the longest living uh, human. She made it to 122. She has since passed. What I love about her is she rode her bike. I'm a cyclist. Jean was a cyclist. But get this. She rode her bike till she was 100 years old, and she smoked till 117 years old, until her doctor finally convinced her to quit smoking. She lived another five years, all the way to 122. So again, not recommending these things. You might live a long life because of what you do, or maybe in spite of what you do. But this got to be thinking about faith, and not just maybe how long and how crazy that is for some people, but maybe a more important question, and it's the question I want you to think about as we start this series, and it's a question that leads you into eternity, which is, how long do you plan to follow Jesus? You know, I think this is a, a really important question, because there's some things on your lifespan that you kind of can't control, but this idea of following Jesus is something you can absolutely control. And it's kind of tricky, right? I've been a pastor for a long time. I've noticed that some people, they, they start off and they, they start off really well in their faith. And maybe they have some sort of, sort of like um, firecracker moment. You know, they have this ignition of faith in their life, and they're, they're so alive, and they're unstoppable. And then they maybe get to a point where they kind of tail off. Yeah, I, I've heard that, or I've done that, or I'm, I'm sort of just biding my time, kind of just checking my box of faith. And I think... This book is very helpful for us to have this kind of centenarian mindset, to kind of live with this idea of of long-term, of eternity. As a Christ follower, it's not just this life, but it's all of life that you'll get to live with Jesus. And the guy who wrote the book of Revelation is a great model for us to learn from. He's a guy by the name of John, and church history tells us that he also lived to be about 100 years. We don't know exactly, but he was a centenarian. He lived an incredibly long life, but also an incredibly difficult life of following Jesus and really suffering, incredible suffering during his lifetime. He followed Jesus. He was a dear friend of Jesus. Um, He actually contributed to us a large part of the New Testament, uh, lived a really long life, followed Jesus for like 80, 85 years of his life, um, gave us some incredible uh, pieces of the Bible. Uh, gave us 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Those are great books and kind of a treatise on love. He gave us the Gospel of John. And then John gave us this book, the book of Revelation. I, I think maybe the most fascinating of everything he penned. And I'll tell you, the book of Revelation is probably the most misunderstood and definitely one of the most misused books in the entire Bible. Bible. And I want to tell you at the very beginning of the series that the real gold in the book of Revelation is it will help you kind of put this into your mind. How to live with this long term, this reality of following following Jesus all the days of my life. Kind of having that burning fire to follow him every single day. So if you got a Bible, I want to dive right in this morning. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1. Today is going to kind of serve as an introduction to the book. We'll cover a good portion of the first chapter, and I'll kind of set the stage for you. First of all, just a little bit of rationale as to why we're doing this book. I had spent some time leading up to Easter kind of preparing, and, and I just couldn't shake this book. Now, turns out there are 66 books in the Bible, and one of my hopes as your pastor is to teach through all of them in my tenure here. I've been doing this for about 20 years. I've still got a long ways to go to cover all the books. I actually taught a, a small series on the book of Revelation about a decade ago. And I only covered a small portion of it. I covered Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We looked at the seven letters to the seven churches. We're going to retrace a little bit of those grounds, but what I hope to do is to give you kind of an overview of the entire book during this series. Also, one of the things is I just felt like it was time, just kind of looking around at our world today, just kind of looking at the things that I see people struggling with, and I just felt like it was time for us to talk. I felt like there was something that needed to be said about this book and the world that we live in today. I'll also be honest with you, as a pastor, the book of Revelations, probably the book I get the most questions about, someone will come up to me and say, Hey, pastor, I I tried reading that book, and I'm so confused. You know, is it about the end times or the Armageddon? I read it, and now I can't sleep at night. You know, I got one eye open, just kind of keeping an eye on the future. You know, what's this book all about? There's beasts, and there's an antichrist, and a lake of fire, and all these different colored horses. And, of course, the question I get the most often is, You know, when, Pastor, tell me when this is all going to happen. I'll probably disappoint you in not being able to answer all of these questions for us, but it just seemed like it was time to really kind of frame and to bring some clarity to this very confusing book. Uh, One of the things I'm going to be doing in this series that's a little different is I'm going to be using the English Standard Version translation of the Bible, the ESV. Uh, All the words on the screen will be from the ESV Uh, If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat racks in front of us, those are just uh, a little different translation. I felt like the ESV is just a little bit better for this book and for what we're about to read. Uh, If you're using the Bible app, you can probably change translations really quickly on that. Or this week, jump on Amazon and order yourself a a brand new ESV Bible. They're really, really good, uh, really good translation for study. So I'll set the context for you as we read, uh, starting in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Pause here for a moment because this is the beginning of this great epic book, Revelation. And I have a feeling that sometimes maybe this is as far as people get. And they might read this and they might say, ah, you know, ho hum, this is sort of uh, the givens, right? This is sort of the greeting of a letter, salutations. I look in my Bible, this is actually titled the prologue. And I, I would caution you that there's some really important things in this section of the letter. In fact, it tells us, first of all, that. There's this servant, John. John is the author of this book. He's our centenarian that's going to be kind of part of our study in this series. But it also tells us the purpose, why this book was written. And it's right there, very first sentence, that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me be really clear about this because this is important. This book is all about revealing Jesus Christ. Another way to think about it is when you read this book, it should sort of light up. It should kind of illuminate who Jesus is in this life, what we're to know about him. What this means is the book of Revelation is not just about the end times, that the book of Revelation is not about hell or not just about all these wild creatures and this incredibly deep symbolism in the book this book is first and foremost about jesus revealing jesus and this should be apparent because every book in the bible all 66 of them reveal jesus every shred of evidence every word every part of your life should point to jesus it's all about jesus And I think, sadly, many people don't read it because they get caught up in so many other things, the the debates and the arguments about what's going on in this book and what time and place is this written in, and they miss just the simple fact that in this book, you read this book, and you'll have Jesus revealed to you. The second thing you'll get from this, though, is he kind of goes further to say what happens when you read this book, kind of the byproduct of reading it. And in verse 3, he says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, So thank you this morning. I'm blessed. I get to read these words to you. I get to play a small part in revealing Jesus to you. I'm blessed by that. And it says in that you're also blessed are those who hear and also who keep what is written for the time is near. This book is all about blessing. I think so often, again, people want to go towards the controversies and all the different ways in which you can read this book. And they miss the simple fact that this book is all about revealing Jesus and about blessing those who read it. And that's John. That's our author. He is a guy who's been incredibly faithful to Jesus. He's followed Jesus through really difficult and painful parts of his life. In fact, John has endured one of the really most um, dangerous people to live under ever. He's actually living in the Roman Empire and at that time, the emperors were incredibly dangerous. I'm going to introduce you to two people that he lived under. The first is a guy by the name of Nero. Nero was one of the emperors of Rome from about 54 to 68 AD. And history tells us a lot about this guy. He was, he was crazy. I mean, literally a crazy man. Um, Nero is famous in this picture for being the guy who, uh, who was leading Rome, and he fiddled while Rome burned. That's kind of the language that's used around Nero um, while his city was burning, he kind of nonchalantly went up on his rooftop and just played his fiddle like ho-hum, no big deal. Well, it turns out uh, most historians are aligned in saying that Nero was actually the one who started the fire in Rome. And he did that as kind of this ploy to blame it on the Christians. And when he blamed it on the Christians, it basically turned everyone against them, kind of made them, you know, enemy number one. And it allowed him to be even more vile and dangerous towards them. In fact, uh, he sort of invented uh, two new ways of persecuting Christians. His favorite was uh, to take a stake and to impale a follower of Christ, dip them in tar, and then light them on fire and use them as torches for his backyard dinner parties. And he would get bored with that, and then he would gather up Christians because if you were a Christian, it meant you were a little Christ, and he was threatened by that. He knew about Christ. And so he would take Christians and he would literally drill a hole into their skull and he would have their guards pour molten metal into, the, into their skull and leave it be like a slug. And it would just be, the reports would just create this incredible pain and suffering for people until they eventually died. That's Nero, not a very nice guy. There were a few other uh, emperors after Nero, but another one that John lived under is a guy by the name of Domitian. This guy also, just crazy. In fact, he had his own Olympics. This is the stadium where they had the Domitian Games, kind of a forerunner to the Olympics. Um, He actually kind of took it up a notch and basically just assumed the position of God. He required that everybody called him my Lord and my God. Even his wife was required to call him my Lord and my God. He had 24 singers that were available at any notice to start chanting and singing our Lord and our God, you are worthy to receive glory glory and honor and praise. be really important. In a couple of weeks, we'll get to uh, chapter 5. And you'll see that that same language, glory and honor and power, is what's being sang in the throne room of heaven. And Domitian is requiring that power and that, that majesty be given to him right now. He was also incredibly dangerous. Uh, he would wipe out, wipe out entire tribes and groups of people. He was famous for... Um, basically eliminating the, a group of people known as the Nazimeans. Uh, what he did is he killed them all, and then he invited all of his uh, biggest threats, their powers. He, he had them all come to a big, like, uh, state dinner. And as they took the platter off their plate, on their plate was a head of a Nazimean. Just basically to make it really clear, don't even think of messing with Rome. Domitian is the guy who actually gets his hands on John, our author here. And he tries to kill John. In fact, um, history would tell us that the first attempt to kill uh, John is he took him and he, he dropped him in boiling oil. And believe it or not, that didn't kill John. And Domitian sort of got a little scared at this because it didn't kill John. And he thought, well, I've heard the stories of Jesus and how Jesus came back to life. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy. So to kill him, he decided to exile him off to an island called Patmos. And while this picture looks very serene and beautiful, uh, what I'm told is this island is essentially just a rock. It's uh, very difficult to get to. It's out in the Mediterranean Sea just off the coast of Turkey. Uh, Maybe another way to think about it, if you've ever been to the Bay Area, if you've ever uh, been to San Francisco and you've seen uh, Alcatraz, kind of the same idea. They would exile prisoners off to this island. There was a cave on the top of the island where it's believed that John basically was just left to die. And it's in this moment, as he's just on this island, can you imagine being John? Can you imagine being John and kind of being in this position? This is actually where he writes this book of Revelation to us. And just imagine him for a moment. I mean, he's been a faithful follower of Jesus. He's been a friend to Jesus. He's been part of this movement to start the church. And he's the last one, literally the last of the disciples and he's 80, 85 years of age at this point. He's watched all the other disciples killed before him. He's probably officiated the funeral of many of his friends. And he has to be thinking, is this how my life is going to end? I mean, here on this island, death? You know, he was so close to Jesus. He, he was around Jesus at all those moments where he saw miracles. I mean, he was one of the 12 disciples. He was actually one of the inner three. There was Peter, James, and John, you got to see kind of the inside of, of Jesus' ministry super close. I think one of the most tender scenes in the entire Bible is when Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus only says a few words from the cross, but one of the words, one of the sentences he gives is he looks down and he sees his mother, Mary. And right next to her is this man, John. And Jesus says, John, behold Mary. Meaning, take care of my mom. I mean, just a, a relationship of close friendship that he had with Jesus. And he saw, the last time he saw Jesus is what Pastor Mike preached on last week. He talked about the ascension where Jesus ascends to heaven. And they're all staring up at the sky. John's there. John watches this happen. And the angels show up and they say, why are you staring into the sky? Don't you know that he will return in the same way? And that was the last thing, last time that John had seen his friend Jesus. And it's been a hard life. I don't know what kind of a week you had. I don't even want to venture to guess what you went through this week. But I tend to think John's week was worse, right? Like, it was a pretty tough life for him. And he's in this prison cell. He's looking out over this endless ocean. And now we're going to read these words. He turns around, and he's going to see his Jesus, his friend, face to face. Watch what happens. Picking back up in verse 12. It says, Then I, being John, turned... To see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And we'll end our reading there this week because it's just starting to kind of go in this realm of real high symbolism, and we'll get more into that in the weeks to come. But can you just kind of imagine the scene for a moment? I mean, can you kind of imagine Jean, uh, John turning around in his prison cell, and there before him is Jesus. And, and he sees him, and I don't know about you, but I've read this so many times, and I just feel like there's something missing in this story. Like, I'm waiting for Jesus to say to John, John, how are you doing? I mean, like, John, are you okay? I'm waiting for Jesus to say the words, John, do you, do you need some ointment for those burns? Do you have a little PTSD from Nero or Domitian? Are you a little anxious on this? Are you a little depressed? And I've thought about this for so long, and those words just aren't the words that you read in the text. And it's kind of frustrating for me, but obviously it's not for John. In fact, when John sees Jesus, he's not caught up in his own problems. And I think this is a lesson for us. We can be consumed by our own problems, or we can be like John and be consumed by the presence and the power, and this incredible image we get of Jesus. In fact, there's some 12 characteristics listed here in the text, different ways of describing Jesus. And, and I want to just read through it again. Just maybe read through it and, and have you kind of just try to form in your mind, in your mind's eye, kind of this image of Jesus. I'm going to tell you what not to do. I actually tried to Google this section of Scripture this week, and I tried to look for an image of what Jesus is depicted as, as these 12 characteristics. And it just ruined it for me. It was just, like, just chintzy artwork, and, and it kind of ruined it for me. So don't do that. In fact, just try to form this image in your mind as I reread these words. This is what John saw. He saw one like a son of man clothed with a long robe, these images. Can you imagine Jesus walking among these seven lampstands? Kind of weird to think about a lampstand. Uh, You know, we have electricity these days. Back then it would have been, you know, essentially candle holders. And we're told in scripture that, you know, we're to be the, the church. And these seven lampstands are, we're told by Jesus, they're to represent the church. And the church is to be a light in a dark place, bright light in a dark place. And Jesus is walking among them. We're told that the image of Jesus is this White hair, it says it twice. I don't know about you, I just needed to hear that. Like kind of the old guy, right? Like white hair, white like wool, white like snow. And that would symbolize this wisdom of Jesus. He's holding in his hand seven stars, which he tells us are seven angels. A lot of fascination with angels these days. Do I have a guardian angel? Should I pray to an angel? And, and this just kind of right-sizes it, right? I mean, Jesus is holding these angels, that's how big and significant he is. He's got this two-edged sword, kind of warrior Jesus, coming out of his mouth. And, and this means that Jesus is the one who's going to rule. He's going to rule judgment. Um, one of my favorite pastors is a guy by the name of John Knox, 15th century Scottish pastor. And uh, he used to preach holding a double-edged sword. That's kind of like a two-handed sort of weapon, but he was so big and so strong, he could hold a double-edged sword in one hand and his Bible in the other and just be ready in case anyone rushed. Is anyone going to rush the stage this morning? Because I am not prepared for you. But, but John Knox was. And this idea of Jesus being ready, he's judging the world. I, I don't know what you think when you look out at the world and you feel like everything has kind of gone awry. It just feels like the world's falling apart. It's a dumpster fire, and, and yet you have this Jesus ready to judge. He's on your side. On and on this text goes, and and my hope is that you can begin to form this image of Jesus in your spiritual life, in your time, in your times when you need to turn to him. We're going to lead into a time of worship, but before I do that, I, I wanted to be just incredibly practical this morning and give you some ways in which you can engage this book starting today, starting right now. And so, Three things that I want to encourage you to do. The first thing, you might want to write these down. The first thing is to read Revelation. Read this book one chapter every day. Just start. You could start today. We read most of chapter one. We skipped over a few verses. Maybe today, this afternoon, read chapter one. And then tomorrow, read chapter two. And I guarantee you, you're going to read this, and you're going to probably have questions. Maybe you write them down. But just keep reading. Read through this entire book. Again, sadly, many Christians never even try to read the book of Revelation. And as I told you, when you read it, you'll be blessed. And so read it. And maybe in 22 days, less than a month, you'll have finished the book. I guarantee you, we won't be done with this series. Read it again. Start with chapter 1 again. And the more you read it, the more Jesus will be revealed to you. Second thing I want to encourage you to do is to pray for the church. You're going to read over the next several weeks that Jesus is addressing these seven churches that are kind of locked into that time and space, and he's writing them a letter. And he's going to call out the things that their churches are doing really well and the things that the churches are not doing so well. And it's really a point of saying that Jesus and the church go hand in hand. And so pray for your church. Could you imagine if, if we at Bridgeway, if we got a letter from Jesus? I don't know, one of the elders came up and said, hey, this came in the mail. It came to you, pastor. You know, and I were to get up here on a Sunday and open this letter, and it's, Dear Bridgeway, And Jesus were to begin to to point out to us the things that we're doing well, and then the things that we need to improve and to work on. I think this all should remind us to be praying for our church. I want to encourage you to pray for this church. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our, our deacons, our elders, our pastors, our staff, all our volunteers. Pray for our reach. Pray for the way in which we use the influence. You know, we're all influencers. We all have an opportunity to influence the world for Jesus. Pray for our influence in this world. Pray for our unity and the ways in which God uses us as a community. Pray for this church. Pray for other churches. You probably drove by, I don't know, two, three, maybe four churches to get here. Uh, We're all one team, big team Jesus. So pray for the church that it's effective in reaching the world. Last thought, and on this thought, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. It's kind of similar to how I just read that text. I want to encourage you, starting now, to begin to get this picture of Jesus. To use your mind and your imagination, and to engage in God by just drawing this picture that John so vividly describes. I think it's in some ways indescribable, and John is using all of these words to give you a picture of who He is. All this week, as I was reading and studying, I was trying to to remember these characteristics. If I didn't have my Bible with me, I would be, you know, driving and, and just thinking like, what well, were like maybe one or two of those characteristics of Jesus, and just using the time I had, whether it was in the car or in my office or before a meeting, just trying to form this image of Jesus. Maybe you begin to do that right now, and it just leads you as Jesus is revealed to you to worship him in a new way. You just see him, and you see this sword of truth, right, that Jesus is for you. Maybe you see his eyes, and they're just burning with justice for the world around you. You see this white hair, and you're reminded that Jesus is wisdom for all your problems you begin to just form this image and you bring jesus into every moment of your life i want to pray for you now so if you would bow your heads pray with me please god i thank you for this book i thank you for the book of revelation i thank you that it reveals who jesus is in all of his glory in all of his power and all of his might to us, thank you. Thank you that we get to read these words and be blessed by them. I pray that as a church we would be faithful, we would endure, we would have this mindset of following you from this day through every day of our life and into eternity. God, your church is alive and it is well, and we thank you for it. We're going to give you these songs, these words of praise as this image of you is formed deep into our hearts and deep into our souls. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the sermon discussion guide.